you know, I, for having done this a few years, like the cool part of it is that it's like, I, like I get to take that almost for granted right now because it felt like such an uphill slog eight years ago. And now it feels a little bit more less heretical and like, yeah, like I, I'm where you're at. Like, it's just like now we've done like some of the, like the clearing out. Now let's do some landscaping. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, let's just take up space now. Yeah. Like we didn't, we don't have to cull the ground anymore. Now we, yes, exactly. We get to plant stuff. That is such a good metaphor. I love that. I'm a songwriter. So That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you do. Welcome back to Alter Guild. Miriam here. We took a little break uh, because if you also live in the Midwest, you know that the snow apocalypse and cold apocalypse have been happening this past month. So we've been tending to that, namely our children when their daycares have been closed these last few weeks. But anyway, glad to be back for this final interview of our season where we're talking about what's at the core of who we are. So this last interview is with Jennifer Knapp, whom many of you may know if you were into Christian contemporary music in the 90s and 2000s, since that is where she made her public music debut. Or maybe you're like me and know her more because of her more recent music, since she has spent the last decade making more secular, but certainly still spiritual music. I met Jennifer when she came to Minneapolis last year to play this kind of concert slash program that she calls Inside Out Faith, which is a combination of storytelling and songs, and it's about her own story of rising up in that more conservative contemporary Christian music world, and then her story of taking a break from that, and then her story of coming out, and then her story of coming back to performing, and now her story of being an advocate and voice for LGBTQ people of faith. Here's our conversation. I want to hear from you a little bit about, um, I mean, just tell people your, your basic story. Cause it's, it's fascinating and, um, like really way cooler than most people's kind of life story, much more interesting. Oh, um, that, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try and get, yeah, where have you been? Yeah. I'll try and give this short elevator speech of it. Um, as far as my public life, um, I got started as a musician in the contemporary Christian music industry so a little bit of backstory into that is I kind of was an evangelical convert in the sense of, you know, Jesus, you know, making confession for Jesus kind of thing. Um, and then started going around and singing about that experience. Um, I did that for three records, uh, you know, but at around about 2002, I was just really, you know, I was probably in my late twenties, somewhat disillusioned with the the entertainment industry as far as Christianity was concerned. I was growing kind of in my own theological thoughts and just felt like this was, and exhausted, and just felt like I couldn't really bear the burden of trying to figure out what came next in a public in the public sphere. So I quit. I packed up all my stuff. Um, I really honestly thought that I was done performing. I was traveling the world. I ended up in Australia for several years, and fast forward to 2010, when I came back, I released uh, one of my new records more in a, a mainstream format, secular format, um, and also at that time came out. 
Um, so identified as a lesbian. And that, of course, had consequences for the religious community that was pretty excited that I was returning and making music and didn't know what they were going to get. And that was, you know, so that's eight years ago. And then the last eight years have been making music, but have also kind of embraced the controversial or at least the topic. Um, I, I've been able to kind of go right into that and talk about what it's like to be a gay person of faith. So, you know, I've started a nonprofit, but I've also kind of like reset the terms of which I'm willing to engage in the public space about my faith. So there's a little bit of personal in there that we can talk about, but there's also, you know, I'm skipping over really quickly the, the parts that have kind of become a new role that I have in the public sphere as far as being an advocate for uh, gay people of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And with the first part of that story, I mean, I feel like you're being kind of modest. Like you, you're a rock star. Like you're a big deal in the, in the contemporary Christian music world. Um, you know, I, I and that was like a whole thing, right? I honestly feel like that's revisionist history <laughs> because when I, when I left part, you know, part of honestly, part of leaving was feeling defeated and unheard and not in an egotistical way. Like, like I never really wanted to be famous, but um, at the same time, like I was, you know, working my ass off trying to be this successful musician. And I really didn't understand what that was for. And I didn't see the fruits of that materializing. I always felt like as particularly as a woman inside of that industry, um, as an unmarried woman inside of that industry, um, as like now we would say a relatively progressive person inside of that industry that I was always just working uphill and always kind of in this defensive position and never really getting the kind of popular support that I think sometimes gets narrated backwards because I left and I didn't think anybody, I mean, I, I was gone two or three years, I think before anyone really noticed that I was gone. So, you know, I, I think, you know, if I interpret that backwards, I mean, I, I do think there's a quality of that music that people really gravitated to, but it wasn't until it was missing that people realized it was something that they wanted. I was gonna ask you what that what that world was like like who who were your fan fans like what was your fan base like at that time um and what did they want and what did they gravitate toward in your music and in in Christian contemporary music in general at that time yeah I wished I had asked those questions at the time so I would have known how to answer them now uh, <laughs> I think that was kind of part of why I I kind of ended up leaving because I I don't I don't know that I really felt like I had a kinship with the people in the audience in the same way that I have it now. Like I could answer that question now, but then I, it felt strange. Like I, I knew that there were people that I met kind of privately, you know, and kind of lower scale kind of stuff, but doing the arena dates and, and playing in front of groups like uh, DC talk and, with Third Day and Jars of Clay. I mean, there's just a lot of this entertainment energy. So I didn't really, when I started to kind of feel like I was putting more theological thought into my music as I went on, I felt like I was alienating my audience, to be honest. Like I was going up there and, and really expecting to, to embrace a, a conversations about my faith that were meaningful in this format. And I felt like I just had people looking at me like a deer in headlights. Um, and, and that's not an offense. It just, just saying that I, I'm not sure that what I was doing there was 
connecting with people in the way that Christianity needed to do it. Like we didn't have Twitter and social media then. I was exhausted. I would do autograph lines and be, you know, Mickey Mouse, where the the interactions that we had were largely photographs and autographs. So to really have time to, to get to meet people and think about what the impact of my music was having at the time, I certainly didn't have any opportunity to have a reciprocal event with that. Um, and that's partly on me too, but it's also like, I think times are a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably why one of the contributing factors of why I left. I didn't know the connection that I could have had or did have with my audience. So you left, you left for a lot of reasons. Um, and then you came out after you left. Is that the kind of right order of events? Yeah. Um, like, it, there's kind of this weird thing. I, I think there's, like, this kind of myth that happens because people listen to my music and go, oh, I can tell you've been struggling with this your whole life. And, mm. yeah, <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, that's I'm, I'm glad that people find a relationship in that. And I think maybe that might be true. I mean, I don't doubt the subconscious at all. Um, but... You know, it wasn't until the point of exhaustion that I realized that, I, I mean, I'd been celibate for 10 years the entire time I was in the Christian music industry. I found real frustration developing intimate relationships with anyone, like platonic even. Like if I was too close to a guy, somebody would think I was sleeping with them. If I was too close to a girl, somebody would think I was sleeping with them. And I don't know why all Christians think you're sleeping with people that you just are friends with. But, <laughs> People were more, way more obsessed about sex than I was because I just kind of shut it down. But as you know, as the as I was kind of running out of fuel and energy, um, I was realizing that I was ignoring who I was as a human being. So it wasn't until like I said, "Wow, I don't even know who I am and what I want to do," and I haven't thought about what my needs are. And here I'm 27 years old, and there are people that I want to get to know, and I don't even know like what's next. So it wasn't until I said, "You know, I'm not going to work that out in public." that I kind of opened the door and then started to go, oh, wow, like, I think my sexual orientation is definitely, I mean, I was clearly attracted to a woman at that time, but I didn't, it wasn't until I got out of the public eye that I was even remotely willing to entertain that. I just, I don't think that there was a part of me that, yeah, you know, I don't know, like hindsight being twenty twenty, it's not necessarily that I left CCM, but it wasn't until I left CCM that I was even willing to engage it. Otherwise, I probably would have not, kind of comprehended my own sexual orientation. So, who are you? <laughs> I mean, just, you know, like a light question. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing because... I mean, that is an extremely broad question, but, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I'm pretty good at putting a list of on the things that I don't like and the things that I like, you know, the things, the mile markers that excite me every day. I mean, at, at the core of who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I've actually started to discover that I, I really do want to connect with other human beings in the public space. I have, I'm willing to acknowledge that I have a gift for that. Um, and a passion for that. And the, one of the principal ways, the primary ways that I want to do that is through music, through writing, you know, really great, meaningful poetry and being able to come into a public space in a, you know, in the concert format and be able to share that. I deeply, deeply love that. And it moves me and it gets me up every morning. 
secondary to that is just realizing that there are consequences to like building relationships. You kind of go where the conversation leads. And for a lot of the conversations that have been around me, um, you know, being willing to share my experience as a gay person of faith has been another kind of layer to all this other stuff. Um, so I've, that's been its own journey of trying to accept that, but fundamentally it, it really does come back to this idea for me that I deeply love people and I, I have known liberation in my life and have found a source of understanding my own personal value and worth and the kind of work that it takes to get there. Um, faith has been an integral part of that, but it's not a requirement for somebody to be able to have this conversation with, with me. I just want to be a part of that. And music's the way that I, I, I most comfortably express that on the planet and I'm learning new ways to talk about it. But at the bottom, bottom end of it, it's just love. And I want to be one of those people that to borrow a phrase from my good friend, Derek Webb, I want to use my powers for good. person who's been wounded by the church and you're a person sitting in your audience who has been told you can't be gay and you can't be Christian um, at the same time, which is clearly a myth. There's tons of us out there. What do you have to say to those people? This conversation of, you know, you can't be gay and Christian. I just, I find that so preposterous because I, I was a Christian long before I understood my own sexual orientation. Did that mean somehow or another in that discovery of my own sexual orientation that, um, that my Christianity wasn't real because ironically in my experience, what allowed me to get to that space of loving the person that I was, was understanding and opening the door to my own sexuality. And that is not a conversation that the church that I quote unquote grew up in was at all even remotely equipped to be able to have. And it, it took me a long time to say, wow, you know, I don't know that I would have ever come to terms with my sexual orientation if I wasn't doing the work and trying to figure out why God loved me. It's just, it's part of a long story that for, you know, for me and my experience was um, only opened and only possible to even comprehend because I'd only seen a world in one way. Um, I'd only seen a heterosexual world. Uh, you know, everyone around me had only talked about people in terms of their, you know, you're a woman and you're a man and you do these things and you're supposed to do that and you're supposed to couple and you're supposed to grow up and do these things. And somehow when those didn't feel like they were good things for me and were destructive for me. When I sat back and kind of examined who I was, who I was uniquely, um, it wasn't uh, for me a per, like a grasping for a carte blanche ability to do everything just the way that I wanted to do them or just to be comfortable. Um, it was trying to understand what God saw in me and what God saw in me was somebody who was capable of loving um, the person who's often opposite of me now. My life partner happens to be a woman and I... I'm okay with that. And I feel like I wouldn't have been able to even dive into that remotely if I didn't understand something about holiness and love and grace and all of those components. Tell me a little bit about what you do now, like inside out faith, who you, how you, who you preach to. I'm sorry. I'm just going to use that word. Um, it's, it's a, it's a filler for what you do. Cause what you do is more than preach. Um, but you, yeah, you do preach and you sing. So tell me about what that's like and who, who you're preaching to. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join you in being incredibly uncomfortable with that word. Cause I, I I've never, I've, I don't think I've preached 
like, a, you know, like I've never def- definitely, I don't know that I've ever given a sermon, but sermon, but I definitely know I've hogged a microphone for about 45 minutes at a time. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, you know, it, it is interesting. Like if you kind of like look at, you know, like uh, it is interesting to kind of look at my life and try and answer that question. Well, what is your profession now? Because it's, it's not normal. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not wholly like I'm me. Like that's just a weird thing is like, I'm me now and i am a sharer of life and experience which is a horrible horrible answer but it's like in that like i'm i realize that i'm not uh, like a hundred percent full-time uh you know a a singer songwriter musician Uh, that's what i i think that i do most of my time and that's where you know i make my professional um you know economic living but at the same time it's so intertwined with the, the willingness that I've had in a public space to share what life is about. Um, I, I think fundamentally that's what, you know, every artist kind of wants to, to be engaged in. Like the artists that I deeply respect are doing the work of cultivating what the human experience is, is like and being able to dive into that. So that's where I start. Um, then I also kind of feel like, yeah, like layered onto that is this expertise that I have um, or maybe expertise is the wrong word, but the, the willingness I have to dive into the experience of what it means specifically inside of Christianity and add into that sexual orientation. So um, it's strange because I, I really only engage LGBTQ and, and hardcore faith. Let me rephrase that. I really only engage um, faith-specific conversations um, typically when I'm engaging LGBTQ inclusion. That's to say that I'm not trying to go out and win the entertainment hearts and minds of, of people in the church as a musician. I'm not kind of really interested in that. But at the same time, that doesn't really actually show that I'm kind of I'm always kind of writing like that influence of faith is still in what I do. Um, it shows up on the stage when I talk about it. But, I, you know, when I'm at a bar, I don't necessarily and I work really hard actually to try and not have religious conversations because not everybody's you know, not everybody's showing up necessarily to hear me. They definitely, I, like, I don't even want people to show up to hear me preach. Like, if you come in with that expectation, that's not going to happen. Like, I will save that for when I'm in the church. I think that's the time and the place that I choose to do that. Um, but at the same time, like, it's, I also realize that that's just such an integral part of me that it does come out in my life shows. Like, you, there are people who relate to even the mainstream music as being connected with their faith journey um, but I think it's liberated in such a way that, and the difference being that, you know, in the bar, I'm not in a place of teaching. I'm in a place of sharing. This is our communal space. I, my opinions come out from, from every once in a while, but you know, that's not the place where I tell people what I, I suggest, um, as a leader that we should do. I, I try and kind of gear that back and save that for the spaces where I'm actually, you know, given the floor to do that and ask to do that. I, I assume that on a Friday night when you come out to a bar and want to have a beer in your hand that you didn't come to hear me lecture for 15 or 20 minutes um, about how I got there. But, you know, for the, for the people who know that other side of me and do find me in a church at some place in time advocating for LGBT inclusion, they'll see, you know, the, the shadows of that and the art that I'm doing out on the street. So it's, it's kind of this weird relationship, I think, that, that music has. I wouldn't have necessarily said I was a, a protest writer at all you know, as a singer songwriter, but I'm starting to appreciate the role that art plays in our culture and how it does reveal where we're going and what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I, I'm just, it's kind of a fine line, I think, sometimes between 
you know, showing a picture of that, a vision for the future in the art that we're creating, a protest of the way that our lives are now. Um, and at the same time, trying not to get into the space of, for me personally, I'm trying to make a goal of not being a space of trying to be propaganda. I've been there and I've done that. And I don't want to be out on the stage and saying, and or nor actually in my advocacy part of it, am I working to try and convince people that they should be Christians? I mostly am giving the experience, you know, for me, most of my goal in the religious conversation is to be able to talk about inside of that faith tradition of Christianity, the space and the vibrancy that is, that should be allowed for LGBTQ people and the kind of vibrancy that comes to our theology and to our social experience when we start to understand how diverse our faith tradition is and the kinds of people that can speak into it. had to say like my art my music has one message one core message what would that be uh yeah recently it's just been really simple one word love it just seems so <laughs> whenever I say it it feels like I should talk a lot more <laughs> that's that's the weird thing about my my contemplation about like love in the last couple of years it's it's and I you know I'm a, I just graduated from divinity school in May um, I got my master's in theological studies and part of the, like the personal experience of kind of having gone through that, that rigor is the walking out the other side of that. I'm starting to understand that I can, I can understand a lot of theologies or a lot of theology, or I can write what I think God is, you know, I can tell the story of what I think God is teaching me. But at the end of the day, love to me binds us together. It's one of these, these forces that, that binds us together. It's an, it's a thing that when I say it and I speak it, that transcends the religion, the religious practices that we do. It binds together the kind of, to me, in my mind, it, it, it reminds us somewhere like the seed underneath every ritual that we do, every communal experience we do kind of goes back to that space. What does that do? You know, what then does love do? Um, you know, we all have imaginations of what that looks like, but at the end of the day, it's a practice of being present um, with other people and knowing the value that, that we had the opportunity to not only um, f- sense and feel in ourselves, but in understanding that, move that out. It has a responsibility to know the, the value of our person and the worth of ourselves because we've been perhaps, one way of saying it, is in conversation with a divine creator that inspires in us, you know, our ability to do something benevolent outward. And when you know that, um, there's a scripture that says, you know, he who's been forgiven much loves much. Um, that to me is like a really shorthand way of saying, you know, I, I've been there and I've done that. And I know that I know how hard it is. I know the cost of it. And when I see it in somebody else and having experienced, you know, some some kind of experience in that journey that I can pass on, like, I just want to pay that forward. Um, so love. Yeah, love. It does. Like I can I can love all day long and I can tell you that I love you all day long. But man the less that I talk about it, the more that I do it, the more that I wrap my arms around people. And, and for me, one of the ways that I do that in public is music. I just, I want to be there on that stage. I, I deeply, it's almost a prayer that every night that I get up there, that, that when people walk out the door, they know, and they feel taller, you know, they feel not prideful, but just secure and, and hugged and embraced by the, you know, whether it's the person next to them or a divine you know, their divine creator or however they imagine that. I just, I want to be a part of that. It's, it's a good, good thing. 
Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson Roberts, and Derek Tronsgard, with edits by Matt and Derek. You can visit our website at alterguild.org, that's A L T E R, and find us on Facebook and on Instagram and sometimes on Twitter every once in a while. If you enjoy these conversations, share this podcast with someone you know. Or even more valuably to us, you could leave us a review on iTunes since that will help other people find this space and these voices. Thanks for listening. We'll fill you in soon on what we've got coming up for future seasons. And in the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter. Alter.